if I never discovered stoicism and never, there is no way I would have been able to stand as straight as I've been standing against Craig for four years, for example, because these four years have been nothing but threats, harassment, potential for very dire consequences all the time. So just making it second nature for me to never put a lot of stock into things I can't control, but put everything into the things I can control. That always just opens up so much space and calm for me to realize like, and be very aware of, can I control any of this? I think words can constitute huge barriers in communication without any one of the participants realizing it. For example, the word God. To me, if I was going to tell what I think of with this word, it's definitely not something that's situated inside one entity somewhere. If God exists, how I see it, or if I'm going to define God, I would say it's like everywhere. And it is the spark, the good impulse, the love, the rationality. Before we dive into the show, we'd just like to mention a couple of our show's sponsors, things that we care about and that we think are useful to Bitcoiners all over. So first up is the Orange Pill app. Download the Orange Pill app today from the orangepillapp.com. Yeah, Orange Pill app. Woo! Rocket ship, get on board. It's available for iOS and Android. Stack friends and meet like-minded people near you. Connect with your favorite Bitcoiners and speed up hyper-Bitcoinization. We're really excited about the Orange Pill app and its potential to connect Bitcoiners in their local area. Download the Orange Pill app. It's not a dating app, but you can use it for dating. Download now. Next up is Wasabi Wallet. It's a great desktop wallet that has privacy by default and CoinJoin built in. It recycles your UTXOs around so that no one knows who you are after it's done the process. Check out wasabiwallet.io. Make sure that that's the actual link you check out because there are scammers out there who want to steal your Bitcoin. But it works in the background. Tor is built in. And when you send coins to it, the coins you take out are private. So download Wasabi Wallet today. I'm wearing these shades in tribute to Wasabi Wallet because your OPSEC is important. So I'm totally anonymous now, just so you know. Hello and welcome to the Freedom Footprint Show. We're concerned about your freedom footprint and want to help you spread as much freedom dioxide as possible. I'm your host, Luke the Pseudo-Finn, and I'm here as always with Knut Svanholm. Good evening, Knut. Good evening, Luke. Nice to be back. Things are great. The Christmas and New Year's are over and uh, I started working again and, you know, getting my shit together and all that reality stuff coming back. And yeah, I got a new node up and running here. So I'm uh, planning to integrate BTC pay server into my website and a couple of things like that. And working on the Praxeology book, trying to come up with ideas for this little short story for 21 Futures. So that's what's going on in my life at the moment. And you? Excellent. Uh, all good on my end. I'm um, unfortunately back at uh, my fiat job after a couple of good weeks off, but that's life. Got to gotta keep stacking somehow. So the, the keen-eyed among you might have noticed that we have a, a space cat among us, and it in fact happens to be the space cat, the one and only Hodlonaut. So I think uh, we might as well just uh, get you on the show and uh, 
Thanks, Hadlana, for joining us. Welcome to the Freedom Footprint Show. Thank you, Luke. Uh, great to be here. Way too long since I've been talking to Knut. So this is great opportunity and uh, very nice to meet you too. So looking forward to it. Welcome, Hodlanot. It's been, uh, it's been way too long. Mr. Cat here is one of my favorite people of all time. Uh, one of my oldest and dearest friends in the Bitcoin space. So it's great to have you on. Great to talk to you as always. For the benefit of our listeners, do you mind giving a quick introduction to who you are in the Bitcoin community and, of course, preserving your anonymity? I can try, at least. First and foremost, I'm, I'm just a regular Bitcoiner. I'm a pleb. 100%. I'm not out here to build a brand or monetize myself in, uh, or monetize my presence in the, in the community. I, I happened to, to start this community project called uh, the Lightning Trust Chain, is what I called it, uh, the Lightning Torch back in 2019, because I was super fascinated with the Lightning Network early on. And uh, that the Lightning Torch was that uh, project or whatever you want to call it, experiment, it, uh, it happened to become quite viral and caught the attention of, uh, a lot of big names and companies in the space and uh, got a lot of media attention. And I think it in some ways put the lightning network on the map back in 2019, very much unplanned, but, uh, that, uh, got me a lot of attention, which led to me getting, uh, targeted by uh, Mr. Craig Wright for uh, saying that I believe uh, he's a fraud, uh, which I still believe. Uh, since then, it's, it's, it's kind of been uh, battle after battle in the court systems. I'm, I'm still involved in two, two separate legal proceedings uh, in Norway and in the United Kingdom, uh, which uh, has uh, gotten a lot of uh, attention from the community. And uh, it has gotten me just just an amazing amount of support from the community, which I will forever be thankful for. And I guess that's how most people, <laughs> how most people will know me. If they know me is, uh, probably for this fight against, against Craig. Yeah. And that's too bad because the whole lightning thing, I, I remember that vividly. And that's, that's like when you skyrocketed into fame. And I re remember seeing it playing out live and it's a, it's a pity that you're more associated with this fraudster at this point than, and your, and your legal battle. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is, right? It, it doesn't bother me at all, to be honest. What, what I think is, is more of a pity is just the sheer amount of time I've been forced to spend on this, uh, because it has literally been a, a job for four years for me to, to do what is needed at all times to to not, you know, lose against Craig and, uh, and then to bankrupt personal bankruptcy. So it's a, it's a fight every day, I would say, and it continues to be. So it's that, that is kind of my job for now. And then I, I look very much forward to, to free up a lot of attention and, uh, and time in my life when this is uh, all done. Yeah. It's, and you've been doing a great job at it. You won the court case there a couple of months back and if. If I remember it correctly, Craig has sued you again and taken you to a, a even higher court. Isn't that right? Yeah, he appealed, obviously. I mean, he's appealing everything all the time. Uh, so there will be an, a new trial in Norway. Probably be much worse for Craig than the first one since, I mean, every day that passes, we just uncover more and more stuff from this guy. 
And I mean, we have two hours of testimony from him from the first trial, which uh, uncovered a lot of interesting claims and facts that we will be able to pull up again in the, in the appeal. So I'll be there and I'll definitely beat him again. <laughs> yeah, good to hear. You know, the way, the way I saw it before this trial was like, if, if you win or lose, even if you lose, Bitcoin wins. Because like, uh, if you're winning, then we're taking down this asshole and we're showing, showing people who the real, <laughs> what the real deal is here and what, and the difference between Bitcoin and the shitcoins basically. But if you lose, we point out a flaw in the juridical systems uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, then Bitcoin wins too. So like all roads re lead to Bitcoin winning, yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Not, not worried about Bitcoin at all. Uh, I think what motivates me the most and like ma makes me, that has made me completely unwilling to compromise on this because I mean, Greg wants me to acknowledge that he is Satoshi Nakamoto and I, I, I will never be able to do that, of course. But what kind of, I know that this is a fight that needs to be taken by the, someone in the community and because these guys are just, you know, all the time doubling down, suing new people. Now they're going to start going after people with their patent claims and, and companies. So until, until Craig is like soundly defeated in court and exposed, this is going to continue hurting people and companies in the Bitcoin space. And just to, just to give the listeners a, a, a clue as to what, what this means, like if you would have just taken Craig's offer like four years ago, how different would your life have been? It would have been way easier for you. The, the, that would have been the easy way out, right? Pretty obviously. Yeah. If I, he, he wanted me to, to go to be present in, in a court of law and under oath testify that he is Satoshi Nakamoto and I now like know that. Uh, but if I was for some reason willing to do such a thing, then it would all go away, of course. And I would be free to go. I would also not respect myself, which is kind of important. What, what, would you have to pay any fine or anything if, if you, if you had done that? No. So, so you, so this, this asshole basically stole four years of your life or like forced you into focusing on, on taking, taking on this battle. Yes. And you're. I guess most people in your situation would just have found the whole thing overwhelming and just said, yeah, okay, you're Satoshi who gives a fuck and then left, right? Uh, I still believe that there are many Bitcoiners out there who don't really know about the sacrifices you've made over these years because it's, I mean, time is money and yeah. for, for, a, for a talented guy like you, time is a lot of money. So, uh, you've sacrificed a lot for sure, but let's not focus on that. No, the only person in the world who isn't Satoshi. Yeah. Uh, he is boring and, uh, uninteresting to say the least. He's not boring in the sense of being, uh, uh, very fertile ground for quality memes. I would say like, he's very, <laughs> very mean worthy. Yeah. Yeah. And he could be uh, like interesting to a clinical psychologist for 
case studies, maybe. Uh, maybe he's going to sue me too after this episode. Who knows? Come right at me, Craig. Let's see what you got. <laughs> so you're the, the founder of like, that's how our relationship started to, uh, you know, become something more than just two guys knowing each other on Twitter. It's because of Citadel 21 magazine. Yeah. Boom. I'm sorry to say I haven't written for, for quite a while, but I, I was on it quite often in, in the beginning, in the first couple of issues, uh, uh, I, I used to write a lot for it, I guess. Uh, how, how is that going? Well, what's, what are the plans for Citadel 21 magazine? Interesting timing uh, on the question because I, yeah, I, you have written either three or four articles. I don't, I'm not completely sure, but I loved all of them. <laughs> and I think they became, uh, yeah. Like real cool pieces of, uh, cultural history in Bitcoin. Like you had some really cool angles. I mean, I mentioned, the uh, the Commodore 64 article before as one of my, I mean, I was such a Commodore fanboy back in the day. So that, that hit home for me. Uh, and it's been a while since you, um, had something in there. Um, and why I said the, the timing is interesting is we are, uh, we have decided to cap the same count at 21. There are only two volumes left to be published. Actually, uh, we oh. have, we have one dropping now at the 21st of January and then, uh, volume 21 of Citadel 21 will drop on uh, March 21st. So if you have any time to spare, and if you want to be in this, in the final volume in March, uh, we would be honored to have you again. Oh, oh. Oh, but, uh, I mean, I have to do that now. <laughs> want you to know that, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm honored that you want to have me in the last, uh, issue. Of course, of course, I'd like to produce something for that. That would be, that, that would be, awesome. be, that would be so awesome because like my history with that, th those articles did way better than I thought they would. Of course you have the, uh, everything divided by 21 million, which is from, uh, uh, an article called deeper down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And there's one called you are, uh, you are not prepared about yes. hyper-Bitcoinization, which is also became a bit of a meme. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the, the Commodore thing. Yeah. We had a lot of great conversations about that. I think looking, looking back at this, uh, because Citadel 21 has been running for a good while now and looking back at these articles, I think it's. It's really cool to read about these things like, uh, for example, everything divided by 21 million, uh, which, which has matured into a much shorter form meme, but you know, to see yeah. the early versions of, of all kinds of thoughts, I would say that, you know, kind of come from a little unfiltered in many instances, uh, all kinds of different flair or perspectives in there, which I, I'm, I'm pretty happy and a little proud of, uh, what we have created with Citadel 21 and looking back at it and, and, uh, having the physical copies in my hand, looking through it and knowing that me and Katya were part of capturing this culture that it, it's very fleeting and it's changing all the time, of course. And the Bitcoin community, if you want to call it that, or 
maybe you want to think about it as Bitcoin Twitter. It, it has changed a lot in two or three years. It's matured and, you know, some of the things that was very novel and new and created a lot of enthusiasm is now kind of old news and just like part of the common shared past that we have as Bitcoiners. So uh, I'm happy to have uh, been part of that project. And Citadel 21 will continue to live on in, in some other form. I'm not completely sure what we will do with it, but we will put something out there again, uh, but not in the same. It will not be a magazine the same way it is. Can you disclose the reasons for shutting it down? Or is it just, oh, we're at episode 21 here. We should, we should stop here. Yeah, there are, there are several reasons, uh, that together made it a pretty clear decision. Uh, like the most boring reason, or maybe the most, uh, the reason that's kind of out of our control is basically financial. We have been running in the red with Citadel 21 every single month for maybe 16 months now, basically just bleeding money every month. And that's not sustainable. I mean, that's the opposite of stacking sets. Um, why, why is that? Are people canceling their subscriptions or what? Because, uh, I remember subscribing in the beginning, like, and then you gave me another subscription. So I get the double amount of magazines, but <laughs> that's it. No, uh, no, it's, uh, it's, it's just a matter of not selling enough magazines, uh, uh, easy as that, because we have quite dramatic and the expenses of printing have like gone up 150% since COVID started. Shipping has kind of like doubled. Uh, we have expenses. We, we pay, pay the designer of the scene a good amount of money. So it just doesn't work out financially. That being said, we do have a huge, uh, piggy bank of scenes because only volume one is sold out and, uh, the other volumes have, you know, everything from 200 to 600 copies unsold, which is a lot of money that we, you know, may capitalize on going forward. I do believe every single scene will sell out at some point, but, uh, it's not covering our running expenses. And th there's a thousand copies of each one, right? And they're all numbered. They're all hand numbered. There is uh, only one, one print run of a thousand copies and that's it for every volume. No reprints. Pretty cool stuff. And yeah, I, I, uh, I moved out of my old house in Sweden uh, here during Christmas and New Year's, closer to New Year's and, uh, uh, unhung the old, uh, Citadel 21 volume two poster that I have the, uh, the Martin Fisher, poster. the Martin Fisher poster, a cypherpunk now. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. And it's so beautiful. It's such a, it's such an original piece of art. Yes. I mean, his, his style is completely uncopable. Yes. So, so that, and that's, that's just one piece of Bitcoin artwork. I found a, some other stuff at home as well that I've been receiving over the years. And it's just that that's one of the things that, uh, I think sometimes when people say that I'm humbled or that humbles me, it sounds kind of cliche, but the honest to God truth is that every time I receive something from one of these Bitcoin artists, I'm, I feel so humbled and, you know, almost 
a little like I'm not worthy of receiving this amazing. Yeah, it almost dr- drives you to tears. I mean, it's so yeah. Yeah. it's really cool, yeah. especially the post review. I mean, especially that post about <laughs> this uh, is a good example of it. It's just, I mean, you are like depicted on the poster and I can immediately somehow see that it's you. Yeah. It doesn't look like me, but it does the job of, you know, people know it's me. Well, uh, something about you, maybe it was because you were obviously the author there. I'm not sure, but, uh, it's, uh, it's such a cool, yes. uh, cool vibe in that poster. I noticed Giacomo also sometimes has it in the background when he does podcasts. And yeah. And, and, uh, Katie, the Russian. Uh, has it in the background as well. She is also on this. So yeah, what what a bunch of people to be. Uh, yeah, what a beautiful circle jerk, right? Yeah, the best circle jerk. Mm. It's like uh, yeah, that gives me goosebumps just talking about this stuff. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So the last issue you are to publish it on the twenty first of of March. Then correct. Yeah, but I should be able to to squeeze something out till then, and it will have to be good. It will have to be on par with the other stuff. So yeah, yeah, I need to do that for okay. sure. Good. Um, can, can you tell us a little bit about how how uh, <laughs> you, you were kind of motivated to to put that together, Citadel Twenty One? Yeah, sure. Uh, it was, uh, I mean, my fiance uh, Katya, Bitcoin Katya on Twitter. We, uh, became a couple late, uh, 19, early 20. And, uh, she, she's like a super good artist. I would say she's, she has a lot of talent in different directions with the creating stuff, including designing and drawing things. I'm like more, more of a words kind of guy, even though I feel kind of bad, I, I write way too little, but, uh, and both of us had this, uh, history when we were younger of uh, these uh, scenes, uh, from different subcultures. I was familiar with them both from the football scene. Uh, that's two types of scenes, S C E N E and S Z I N E. But, uh, uh, and also from the computer, uh, space like Amiga and, uh, and, uh, this demo scene in, in computers. So, and I always liked how it felt so raw and it was uh, ruthlessly focused on the people inside of this culture. Didn't give a fuck about if some average normie understood anything, what was written, it didn't matter. It was like a very narrow publication. And the benefit of that is that it the signal is so much stronger when it's read by someone who is inside this, uh, this group and you can, you know, go much deeper and explore much cooler things because you don't need to spend three pages explaining what Bitcoin is or not why we think it's cool. So we decided that we wanted to try and recreate such a scene for Bitcoin culture because there was so much cool. Uh, art and music and, uh, you know, all kinds of philosoph- philosophical musings and, uh, creative thoughts that we wanted to display this somewhere because we weren't happy with Coindesk or 
Bitcoin magazine. At the time, I think Bitcoin magazine has been kind of embracing a lot of the same things in a way after we started doing it. Uh, I think actually they got a, a bit inspired. We had a talk with them not long after we launched. But we wanted to have zero editorial policy. We wanted the signal to be, you know, a little toxic and raw. And that's what we did, I guess. Uh, with Katya doing the design and me doing the editing and the curating. That's how it started. Yeah, so stop what you're doing right now and uh, go to citadel21.com and order those remaining copies of those <laughs> issues that haven't sold out yet. Get your hands on them before it's too late. I swear. Yeah, you're going to run out of them. So shameless shield there, of yeah. course. They will, they will sell out at some point, I'm 100% sure. And uh, those who own volume one right now, which is sold out, are quite happy about that at least. And I know they sell on the secondhand market for far, far more than the list price. Yeah, I'm at least 21% sure that they will sell out at some point. Oh, it's, it's, it's a it's a great story though in the the philosophy of citadel 21 i i completely understand and in a lot of ways that's what we're doing here the a lot of the assumption is that our listeners are bitcoiners and we're we are doing some things that are pushing into other fields but mostly in the kind of praxeology philosophical uh avenue which is which is what knuk has been doing a lot of lately so it's kind of like if we are getting new people in it's new people who are coming from outside bitcoin coming for the entire other side of the conversation if that makes sense so they might get some bitcoins from osmosis but outside of that the assumption is just that well if you're here if you've made it here you already have this to start and that cultural understanding i think is helpful because as you say you can go deeper and that's different from something that's trying to be accessible to people who are just figuring it out and and people who are maybe sort of midway in but not quite so deep you you can't you can't go deep for everyone and uh, i i think that's the part of the purpose of of going through that here so and yeah. uh, nice to hear that, that that's kind of that's what you were thinking of yeah you you couldn't or we couldn't even even if our motive was to make a lot of money which it obviously wasn't in the first year Citadel 21 was just, I mean, it's still 100% free to read everything on our site. And we have never had any kind of uh, ads at all, not anything. So there, ha there, has been no, there has been no one there to tell us what to do in any way. I think also it has been, it has been made uh, quite apparent that when you are ruthless and non-compromising in your publication. The reason why so few want to be that is because they're afraid of alienating someone. They're afraid of, you know, losing sales. And we have basically done everything we can to lose sales since we started Citadel 21, <laughs> because we have never accepted anything but Bitcoin for selling our magazines. You can't pay with fiat. You can't pay with any kind of other shitcoin. It's only Bitcoin and we have always paid everyone working for us, like the printing, the design, everything is paid with Bitcoin. So it's a circular Bitcoin economy and every art, if, if you know a moderate Bitcoiner or someone who has 
who wants to hold on to their shitcoin fantasy in some way. If they open one copy of Citadel 21, they will never want to buy it because their fantasy is shut down mercilessly on every page. No punches are, are pulled. So it's basically, we, we don't cater to a huge demographic basically. And that's kind of part of what we wanted to do, you know, we don't, and I would never want to, you know, create something that was watered down just to please someone. I guess if we needed, if we, if this was our only hope of making money, I'm sure we could make a really cool magazine while not, not selling out, but it has enabled us to be even, even more, uh, uh, uh pointing our nose at, at people than we probably would do if we were very conscious about maximizing sales. This is, this is how you build integrity and this is how you build. You may not realize it yet, Mr. Cat, but this is long-term branding. Like you, you may not have a huge audience, but it's a great audience. Yes. Yeah. Uh, like the best audience you can have. Yeah. Uh, so it's pure signal all the way. Yeah. Uh, I just love, you know, I love uh, low time preference and I, I love to just stick to my guns on something if I can, if there's any way to do it, just, you know, I don't want any reward for it. I just want to do it. it but I, I mean, I've been doing it for a pretty long time in, in a couple of different ways now. And somehow it seems to work, you know, but it, it is hard. I mean, when you, when you exit fiat and you start living and breathing Bitcoin, and getting your income in Bitcoin and, uh, you know, spending some of it to, to eventually when you run out of fiat, it's a tricky thing because you have this, you know, urge, I think it's something, there's something very human and, uh, yeah, so it's something in the male brain that's, that's deeply rooted that you want to have your numbers be black every month. You want to have a positive cash flow and not a negative one mm. because it feels much better. Games, uh, yeah, uh, and it's a tricky thing to uh, to sell stuff without selling selling your soul. Of course, it's and it's a very tricky thing to balance because you could. The way I see it is that you can only sell your soul once, and there's no refund. Yeah. Uh, and you can nibble away little pieces of it, like you can claim that me selling T-shirts for fiat is selling my soul to a certain extent, and, and that's true. But, uh, even though it's, you know, you're nibbling, nibbling away at something that you make more valuable by sticking to your guns. Yeah. Yeah. If, if your integrity is your soul in that sense. I, that's the way I view it. And the thing, speaking about this, this is a good segue into uh, the big thing that you introduced to me uh, that is tangent to Bitcoin, uh, and that is stoicism. And the philosophy of the Stoics and Marcus Aurelius. Mm -hmm. uh, you're the first one that mentioned that, uh, and like that's that's the closest I'm ever gonna get to a religious view. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, because, I but it maps on perfectly to to Bitcoiners and, and you in particular because you're such a you're like made of stone or some mar marble or something in, in terms of low time preference. It's it's pretty. So you're Stoic. <laughs> And can you tell us a little about what stoicism is and what it has done for you and, and uh, all that? I can, I can start with saying that if I, 
if I never discovered stoicism and never got read pilled on stoicism and made stoicism like a very central piece of my operating system, there is no way I would have been able to stand as straight as I've been standing against Craig for four years, for example, because these four years have been nothing but threats, harassment, like the potential for very dire consequences all the time. So just making it second nature for me to, to never put a lot of stock into things I can't control, but put everything into the things I can control always just opens up so much space and calm for me to, to realize like, and be very aware of, can I control any of this? Like when I was in, in court, I, I've never had my feet inside the courtroom before. I had no idea what to expect. And it was, had the potential to be very stressful, of course, but it kind of ended up being very okay, I think, because I, I was constantly aware of like everything Craig's lawyers were saying and like the whole stage, all the cameras and coin geek and all this bullshit, it was just out of my control. So I, I just didn't throw my energy at it. But what stoicism is, I mean, it's a philosophical system, which is derived from the thoughts of especially Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus, and Seneca. It teaches you to basically, it teaches you that what is causing you most of the grief in your life is aversion and desire. This is pretty much, you know, the same thing as Buddhism is teaching with a very different pair of glasses on, I would say. Stoicism is much more rational. It's just per always. It always talks to the, like the Western rational, logical side of you, which makes like made it very revolutionary for me, made it very true, felt like just so apparent that, wow, it's possible to think like this. It teaches you to, you know, when you are in your daily life, things happen. And if we haven't got any kind of mental discipline, we will put labels on everything that happens to us. We will like just. Okay. That was really bad. That was bad. Oh fuck. Oh fuck. That happened. Instead of going, like looking close and did, did, was this bad? Why, why was it bad? Like, could I control it? Could I, and, and instead like turn, it, it, we should turn our attention to what can I do that is good since this thing that I couldn't control has happened to me. And that just, it feels like a superpower every time. You just change the perspective like that because suddenly you are in full control and any small positive thing that you do is just fucking great because it wasn't. And, and sometimes it will be like, people will look at you and like, whoa, how did you like manage to react like that? And that's just, you know, because you didn't accept all the consequences that your brain wanted to label on something that happened to you. I see so often that things that happen to me, which initially could seem really bad, but when you put low time preference on it and like wait it out a little bit, and you just react to it rationally and, and like to the best of your ability. And, and this thing that initially seemed like a disaster turns out to be the biggest positive blessing in your life or like the, 
the entrance to something really good in your life. So I think it's stoicism is like anti-victim philosophy. Yeah, that's such a good way to put it. I mean, stoicism uh, and praxeology, learning about the two has done so much good things for me. I guess I was always a bit of a cynic using humor and dad jokes to, to cope with the reality, you know, try to be yeah, uh, like uh, a somewhat clowny f- facade, but praxeology made me appreciate other people a lot more. And stoicism, I guess, made me appreciate <laughs> myself and, and reality more. Like, uh, you, you, you realize that you're not in control of that many things really. Uh, so when you actually manage to control something, you, you appreciate that you can influence something a lot more. Uh, and you're, as you say, you're not bothered by, by the outside world as much because yeah. uh, you, you build up this mental shield so that you, they can't get to you if, if there's nothing to get. It's like, the, the thing that comes to mind now is Heath, Heath Ledger's Joker, but that's a, it's not a good representation of it. But in, in a sense, he has that, you can never get to me because the, all your, or your threats and all your strength and all your violence, I'm impervious to it because I don't give a shit about it. Yeah. And there's, there's something powerful there, even though he's the bad guy in the movie, but, but there's something to that, that like, I remember the first, the first few things that were sort of stoic behavior that, that I imposed on myself was during my years at the, uh, Merchant Marine Academy around the uh, early 2000s. And I used to miss the bus all the time in the morning. So, uh, so I slept for too long and I missed the bus. And I always uh, ran to the bus and then it drove away anyway. And I could see the goddamn bus driver in the rear view mirror sort of smirking at me and then leaving at the, at the last fucking second because that's his only joy in life is to deprive me of my ride to the school. So, uh, and, uh, and I got so pissed at him and so pissed at myself. So one day I just told myself, that's it. I'm never running to, to public transport again, ever. If I miss it, I miss it. Fuck it. Uh, so I could control that impulse to run and, mm. uh, and follow the timetable. And what, what followed was that I was never late to the bus again mm-hmm. because it, it sort of inadvertently did that to me. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it's the same thing when the, the other thing was like, uh, I used to live in Malmö for a couple of years and, uh, I got, uh, they, they used to, uh, uh, one day each month, you couldn't park on the street outside our apartment. And I always missed the date and I got a parking ticket, you know, a, a parking ticket is irritating, but the thing is you, you're going to have to pay the parking ticket anyway. So being mad at it is you paying for it twice. Mm. So, and you don't have to do that. So like, and then what you realize over time is that, that like no amount of ex- anxiety is ever going to change the future. Mm-hmm. And no amount of the regret is ever going to change the past. Uh, it's, you just have this present moment and your experiences. It's and going to change your ability to enjoy the, the present and yeah. all, all the presents that are coming on this this chain in front of us all the time. Yeah, because they truly are presence in yeah. both, both senses of the word. Uh, 
this, 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 uh, you kind of, by, by choosing to not run, you kind of tempered your desire for a specific outcome, which the specific outcome being that you, you actually got on the bus, uh, and instead just told yourself, I'm just gonna, you know, walk to the bus. And maybe that led to actually walking at a time where you probably were gonna make the bus before it, it ran away. But just the, the, the thought that this immediately leads me to is before I uh, discovered stoicism, I was entering into almost all situations in a very different way than I do now, because I was entering into situations and conversations and relationships and everything with like, I always had like, I was always working for a specific outcome. I wanted people to agree with me. I wanted to convince people that what I was saying was right and more right than them. I wanted, I always like wanted a specific thing to happen consciously or subconsciously. By doing that, you apply, you kind of apply a little bit of force or like a little bit of a stiffness to both your own like mentality and the situation itself. And I think letting go of that and just entering, having more focus on what you put in instead of what comes out, because what comes out is always going to be a result of a lot of factors that you can't control, but you can control what you put in and then just put that in and enjoy whatever comes out. And then sometimes much more fascinating and creative and uh, meaningful things come out as a result of kind of this letting go a little bit of trying to control everything. I think that, that, that is kind of related to low time preference as well, by the way. It is. It's, it's also related to the dropping your ego thing. And, and, uh, like there, there's something there for sure. Uh, even though dropping your ego is a, is a term that can be interpreted in many different ways. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, an ego is not a per definition, a bad thing. Uh, it, it can fuel your fire if channeled correctly, I believe. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, I had my period as, as a, I know I tried to be like the most virtuous person in the world. Like I was so into basically very spiritual, you know, I had a lot of, got to know a lot of very interesting people and they were so spiritual and they were so good at meditating and all of this. And I just wanted to be this, to suspend my ego and, you know. But it's so fucking, first of all, it becomes fake over time because they're trying to force something. And second of all, it's just, it's just terribly like inhumanely boring. I mean, there's so much fun, fun to be had by embracing your own flaws and embracing that obviously we have an ego, but there are many ways and perspectives to approach it from. And in some ways, I'm sure I have the biggest ego and in some ways I've been able to, you know, temper my ego very much. I think you would be lying if you said you, you didn't enjoy waking up every morning and looking at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm fucking hodl or not. <laughs> like, yeah. So stoicism, maybe, maybe we can make a course on stoicism on, uh, Emerlice app. Uh, this, that this is uh, one of the things I'm doing at the moment. I'm doing this praxeology book. And that's going to be turned into a course. We had a brainstorming meeting yesterday about that. And this MRLIS app looks really cool. It's like Udemy, 
meets Substack uh, powered by Lightning Network. So you you uh, you can do courses and people can can get their sets back if they if they finish the course. And mm. like you you can set up all sorts of solutions for that and uh, teach people about stuff. Santos told me they're they're doing a or planning on doing. I hope I'm not doxing anything or, or like giving something away here, but planning to do a whole exit the matrix type of program. So mm. uni, unity university program basically for people who want to get the fuck out of society. <laughs> so so you have a praxeology course and a stoicism course and Bitcoin course and a uh, you know be your own farmer type of course. A lot of Practical engineering skills would be good to learn there too. Some electronics and stuff, and you just get out. And yeah. I, I think it sounds like an awesome idea, like a university for for uh, hermits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> speaking speaking of, uh, you mentioned praxeology again. Can you give like a, both how you got into it and like what it represents for you and in itself? I I was curious about. Austrian economics and the Mises Institute before Bitcoin as well, and libertarian thoughts. But I didn't know that it was an actual science until after first uh, the Bitcoin standard, uh, Seyfedina Mu's book, of course, uh, guided me towards what to read next. So I've read Human Action twice, uh, and it's the best book I've ever read <laughs> because it, it fleshes out this type of uh, scientific thinking lays out very clearly why you need a different approach when studying human action than when studying like the motions of planets and stuff. Uh, because empiricism doesn't apply to, it, it can't be applied to, to human decision-making. If it could, then the, then the universe would be deterministic and we wouldn't have free will. And we have no, <laughs> of course we have free will. We have no choice, but to have it as. Christopher Hitchens put it. So that's what I, I believe we have to, we have to at least think we have free will in order to, you know, engage in anything at all. So, so that's, that's one of the assumptions praxeology makes that people have free will. So if you agree that, that people have free will, then you can, you can make a couple of other assumptions about human behavior. And this is. Uh, in praxeology, they're called axioms. Just as in mathematics, you 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 assume some self-evident things to be true. Like one plus one equals two. It's true because we define two as one plus one. So it's it's sort of you you, you can't really argue with that. And in the same way, the the first axiom of praxeology is that human action is purposeful behavior. That's the definition of the subject matter, like uh, purposeful behavior. It's something you do out of your own free will. And the second axiom is man must act, uh, which is also pretty self-evident because if you don't act, you die pretty quickly. You must deliberately lift the glass in order to drink water. And <laughs> if you if you don't, you die, of course. Praxeology makes the distinction between voluntary action from free will and just plain instinct, which would be like 
we would probably breathe without acting deliberately. Uh, I think I can I just throw something in that, like the the polar opposite of procrastination and uh, people who are in the in the grasp of like very serious procrastination. That that's basically like dying, I think, because it it kind of makes them in some almost like they have a spell on them that they just can act. It's like just continuous problematizing and intellectual activity just that doesn't lead to anything. Well, it's it's on a spectrum. Uh, and that it, that spectrum is from high time preference to low time preference. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the higher the time preference, the more instinctual the action sort of. So if you're procrastinating a lot, it's it's probably because you have a high time preference because you you value the dopamine hit in the present more than you know some reward you could have reaped in the future from sowing a seed in the present also like they are not even aware of the alternative also like re- reaping some other reward in the future you're just you know no, that's be- because you've been uh, conditioned to yeah. have a high time preference for all of your life and like you've been taught that in school and that that's that's so like when when you understand praxeology and you you realize why it isn't taught in schools and that's the depressing part of it because it quite clearly states that kidnapping kids uh, every day for 12 years is probably not the it is pretty clearly not an optimal way of running a society it does not mean it does not lead to an optimal amount of ends sought being met by by people's means because it praxeology quite clearly shows you how much more powerful voluntary interaction is than than involuntary interaction, especially when money is involved, because all involuntary interactions in a a system where people can make economic calculation fucks with that ability to do economic calculation. So as soon as there's, uh, you know, criminal behavior or uh, like taxation or inflation, for instance, on a regular basis, then it becomes way, way harder to make economic calculation, which means that people will adopt a higher and higher time preference and it will lead to what you're describing, uh, you know, throngs of people procrastinating playing PlayStation all day, uh, eating eating cheese doodles. Uh, (laughs) But I wandered off there a bit, but the big difference between praxeology and other sciences is that it's an a priori science, which means that the assumptions it makes are not derived at from empiricism or things you study after a phenomenon has happened, but you deductively reason yourself to, to uh, the conclusion before. Uh, so, so you can't, you, you can't disprove it with, with, you know, experiments. You can't say, Hey, look at this society here. Uh, that was obviously wasn't real communism, uh, and you, you know, all of those arguments do not apply to praxeology because it never claims to prove anything empirically. Mm-hmm. It, it only claims that you can figure these things out from first principles thinking and by by reason alone. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I think that's why I like it so much. I think that's why I liked mathematics the best in school. Because you didn't have to study, you just had to get it. And uh, I, I think that's why I like music too, by the way, because it's, it's in the 
between beauty and you know something you can calculate and it's just yeah. in between there and and that's that's what praxeology is too it's it's very close to being a branch of science that actually can derive an ought from an is of course no no science can do that because that would mean that you put some subjective value judgment in onto the science itself but it can tell you how much harm you know involuntary action can can cause and yeah it's endlessly fascinating to me and i i suggest i, I think you would love deep diving more into it if you haven't already hey luke can you tell our listeners a bit more about the consensus network the platform that this show is on and the publishing house that publishes my books what is the consensus network luke Thanks, Knut. The Consensus Network is a Bitcoin-only publisher and translator. In other words, translates Bitcoin books into all sorts of languages. Anyone who's interested in translating a book into their language can get in touch with the Consensus Network to help translate and spread the Bitcoin message throughout the world. We have lots of great examples here. Knut's books are some of the most popular on the site. Check out consensus.network or bitcoinbook.shop to see everything that Consensus has to offer. That's bitcoinbook.shop. Use the affiliate code FOOTPRINT for 10% off. Knut, can you tell us about how to get in touch with you and find out more about your stuff and the things that you're involved in these days? Yeah, sure, Luke. So I'm at Knut Svanum on Twitter. I also have a website, knutsvanum.com, where you can find all of my books. There's a whole bunch of books. These old two ones, Sovereignty Through Mathematics and Independence Reimagined, are being rehashed into one book that's coming out with a foreword by Prince Philip. I'm also making a wine. I'm not making this wine, but this is a wine bottle with a Bitcoin B on it that you can sign up for on my website. And you can also find all sorts of everything divided merch if you're interested in that. So uh, that's how you support me. Yeah, which, which is the first book I should read if I want, like, like human action is a 38 hour audiobook, but that's like the, uh, that is to praxeology what, you know, uh, the origin of the species is to biology. I, I'm sure I'm offending someone by, say, by saying that, but so that's, uh, okay. Let's use the term. It's the Bible of praxeology. Yeah. It, it felt like, why am I not aware of this? Why has this not been taught to me before? It's so that, that's the big one. Yeah, the, the other books, I just want to mention them before we go on, because like the, uh, Max Hillebrand recommended two of the best books I've read in my life to me, uh, when you're a bit deeper into praxeology, I, I think you can jump straight to these, uh, and one is called the ethics of liberty by Murray Rothbard. And the other one is called, uh, has the most sexy title ever. Uh, it's called economic science and the Austrian method. And for, by by uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe, and those two books are uh, those are the most mind blowing praxeology books I've read so far. Then there are others like Anatomy of the State, which is a very short book by by Rothbard, just describing how rotten the state is and why it can't be anything else than that. There's another short book by Rothbard on education. There's one. Uh, by Hoppe about the short history of man. Uh, there's a lot of stuff, but I guess human action is the, a book everyone should have 
every self-respecting Bitcoiner should have ticked off their list at some point. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, I I never I never uh, got through uh, Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. I thought it was too boring. I I couldn't keep the. How far did you get? By the way, uh, I got a couple of chapters in, but I couldn't keep uh, the. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's probably the book that I can remember reading that was hard just to like get through the yeah the, like the threshold before it started to to flow but i mean but it's really good yeah i i think so i think yeah if you ever yeah i will i will at some point i'm sure i will uh, and uh ayn rand was best friends with mises by the way yeah they, they have a very similar backstory and fascinating lives in general it's so crazy to like you you said uh, a few minutes ago, like why, why didn't anyone tell me this or why didn't anyone teach me this? Like the, they didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the schools didn't know or the politicians didn't know. Or... I, I don't think the schools knew. I don't think the politicians knew. And if you remember Scandinavia back in the seventies, I mean, this human action was written in the fifties, late fifties, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, if I remember correctly. In the seventies, when we were born, uh, slightly doxing you there, <laughs> Scandinavia was quite left-wingy. Oh yeah, and it was very taboo to to uh, to talk about free markets. In uh, I, I don't think anyone was aware of the libertarian of any libertarian philosophy at all. I mean, Mises himself believed in a small state, uh, even though he couldn't clearly articulate why that was necessary like it the, the thought of no state at all was still very foreign to him so so i think it's not really until bitcoin that we have an actual shot at ever achieving a society where violence isn't that profitable anymore where we're like it's it's so bleeding obvious that voluntary interaction is way more profitable than than violent interaction and that's Pretty far into hyper-Bitcoinization too, probably. Mm -hmm. But but just the thought of that actually being a possibility is like, that's what sparks the, the lasers in my eyes. That's like what, what fires them up. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that, that's what fuels the, the, the lasers in the laser eyes. Like the, the thought of this actually being possible. It's uh, striking how my entire journey in life from being like a fully ignorant young man to opening like to discovering and opening up one small box at a time it's it's just been so many instances of like of feeling that i that what i was taught was just wrong and it it was you know so wrong that it was even almost like it was designed to prevent me from from discovering something that was way better or more meaningful, the level of curating information that is being taught to the broader masses and, you know, the signal coming from government and media is, they, they just done such a good job of filtering out all the important shit, I think. Yeah. Blaming the free market. They were very efficient at that. People think it's capitalism. Yeah. And you know. There are greedy assholes out there, but there will be way fewer greedy assholes if we had sound money for sure. I mean, if uh, the, the game wasn't rigged to 
they facilitate greedy assholes, it would be less greedy assholes. Great uh, deep dive into two branches of philosophy, stoicism, praxeology. The stoicism is is new for for this show, so nice to kind of get a little bit of a toe dip in there. Praxeology isn't a philosophy, though. Um, mm. I wouldn't call it a philosophy. I, I'd call it a science, and I'd I'd call it a a way of explaining. It's basically just reasoning. That's all it is. It's like, uh, why do we do things? Do you, do you think philosophy has become like a dirty word? Uh, somewhat. I had a c- great conversation with Troy Cross, who's an actual philosopher, <laughs> a couple of months back uh, about this. And, uh, it, you know, of course, I'm paraphrasing here and uh, putting words in his mouth, maybe, but I got the feeling that he thought that the philosophy taught in universities is basically a dick measuring contest of how many, you know, Schopenhauer quotes you can. Yeah. 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 Like we all value words differently as praxeology can tell us, but, but <laughs> as we well value everything differently. And if philosophy is a hijacked word, I definitely think that is one of the words we should hijack back. Mm-hmm. Philosophy to me is thinking about the meaning of life and thinking about life in general and purpose and yeah uh that that's how i define it and i i'm not ashamed of doing that a lot like if people want to call me a philosopher yeah i i i guess i am one uh i've spent countless hours thinking about the meaning of life and yeah so i'm a philosopher i think i would definitely put you into that category uh yeah you too by the way (laughs) maybe I think it's just interesting because I know how, like, if I wanted to trigger you, I would, I would def- immediately start pulling up, uh, like cards uh, containing the words religion and God. Why would I be offended by those? No, just that uh, it seems to me like you think like the word religion or the word God, or that you, that you think religion, um, is a, is a problem or like at, at the very least, uh, a path that is not worth traveling that God is, uh, I mean, I am not, I would not call myself religious at all because I don't follow any defined religion, but I like in my, uh, the meta, uh, in internal space, like words like God and after having read quite a lot of different stuff that I found interesting, like Bhagavad Gita from, from Hinduism and mm-hmm this text and stoicism and the Bible. And I, when I was young, I was taught Christianity in school and we were forced to sing Christian songs every day. And we sang, like we prayed before eating and all that shit. And I never, I was never comfortable with it because I thought all these stories I was being told about what happened, they seemed so unrealistic to me and how they taught me, I didn't buy it basically. But as I, as I've grown older, I would definitely say that these words, uh, like God and, and I mean, maybe not religion, that because religion to me just means that you're following dogmatically some kind of rule book. That's yeah, point. that that's what it means to me. That's why I think statism is the worst. Because I feel, I, I, I mean, since I got to know you, I, I, I feel that we basically agree. I think if we get the chance to, you know, to talk, talk it through that we have a pretty similar uh, yeah. framework 
I would say. I, I think the, the word that is misused more than God is the word atheist. Uh, yeah. Because to me, atheism just means that you admit that there are stuff that you don't know and you don't, and you refuse to jump to conclusions. Is that okay? But so you, you, you refuse to take things at face value in that sense. So, so, so it's atheism. It's not religious. Like there is no theism in it. Like atheism. That is, that's like what it is. Theism doesn't that mean belief in, in God or. Yeah. But, but if you believe in anything really that you can't prove <laughs> or that you, you don't have, you know, sufficient evidence to support or, I mean, I guess all, all kinds of beliefs, uh, require a certain appeal to authority somewhere, but first principles thinking is a good guiding, guiding light here. I think but, but for, for instance, when, when I say I'm an atheist, almost every Christian assume that that means that I, uh, believe in evolutionary theory and the big bang theory, <laughs> which I may or may not do. Yes. But that's beside of the point uh -huh. because the word atheism has nothing at all to do with what I believe in, what other things I believe in that are more or less scientifically proven. So uh, you're following me here. So, so I think the, the word has been diluted by the theists because they think it means something that it doesn't, it's, it's, it's like. It's like humans have this in them that because one thing, when they realize one thing isn't true, they automatically take the opposite position and believe the conspiracy theory instead, oh. or they, or and they change the meaning of words to mean the opposite. When this is just a word describing that, no, I don't buy it. I don't think there was a virgin birth. And if there are three guys showing up at your door, when your baby is born and you're, and you're the carpet that, that didn't bang your wife, you should raise an eyebrow like if especially if they bring gifts so so the, the thing is what i mean what i mean by that and what what i think most people who say they are atheists mean mean by that or at least what i hope they mean is that they don't they don't believe in god or they don't believe in a creator or a higher being or a deity <laughs> i've made some observations lately for instance that Pascal's wager, who I've always detested Pascal's wager because it discludes every other type of belief there is. And just, you just apply it to like, if you, if you believe in God, then the, and God exists and, and you have this matrix of good or bad things that may or may not happen to you, but it discludes, discards every other belief you may have and uh, all the other 5,000 gods. But what I've noticed is that Pascal's wager actually works on Bitcoin. If you, if you believe in Bitcoin and if you act as Jordan Peterson says, I act as if God exists, uh, like I, m my paraphrasing of, of that is I act as if Bitcoin exists, because if I, if I do, yeah. then I actually increase its chances of actually existing. So Pascal's wager works on Bit Bitcoin, which is just mind blowing to me. It's, it's so weird and it truly turned my world upside down in that sense. Yeah. It did, it did not make me believe any, any of the other stuff. And like, I think even people tell me to take 
hallucinogenics and, and psychedelics all the time. I haven't, I haven't tried any yet. Uh, uh, I'm curious about it. And they tell me about all these, you know, things that you, um, experience that will change the way you, you, you look at life. Mm-hmm. But I still have this nagging feeling as maybe it was because you took a pill that that happened and not because the reality was actually altered. So like, yes. <laughs> uh, I have a very big skeptic in the, in, in, yeah. in my core. That's, uh, and I, I, and that skeptic has provided me with a lot of value over time. Uh, so I'm, I'm, uh, not giving that up very no. easily. That's yeah. For some reason, you come off as a little bit spiritual, despite everything you say now. Uh, you have I, like I am, uh, but spirituality to me has nothing to do with religion. Oh, well, but maybe I mean, because maybe, I think you know, words words can constitute huge barriers in communication without any one of the participants realizing it. I think, for example, the word God to me, if I was gonna like tell. How, how do I, what do I think go with this word? It's, it's definitely not something that's situated inside one entity somewhere. If it, if God exists in my, how I see it, or if I'm gonna define God, I would say it's like uh present everywhere. And it, it, you know, it is the, the, the spark, the, the good impulse, the love, the rationality, uh, in stories, but- rationality is basically a God. Uh, but, but, but that, that's, that's where I have a problem with that particular word, mm-hmm. because first of all, everyone has a different definition of it. Yeah. Uh, which by the way, is why it's so hard to, to, to describe atheism as well, because it's just the, uh, none of that, mm. none of those things you defined just defined as God. Mm-hmm. But, but since everyone has a different de- definition of what you just described with a lot of other words. Mm-hmm. There are obviously a lot of other words for because you just use them, yeah. and and none of those words, including even the word soul or purpose or whatever, none of those require there to be a a greater power or a, a like because to me the word God if if the word has if there's any need for the word at all. It needs to mean something that was either a creator or a, uh, something that has influence, some entity that has some influence on something, because if it's out of our, you know, if it's influencing, it's doing something on purpose. Otherwise the word is pointless. Yeah. I, I, and, but, but to me, th- let me finish this thought thread because it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, one of the latest arguments against this uh, notion of a creator or someone influencing something that I've come to. And it's like, if it's purposeful, if it's engaged in purposeful behavior, that implies that it's not omnipotent and it's not, it cannot have eternal life. Uh, because if, if something is indestructible, omnipotent and has I- eternal life, that being would have no incentive whatsoever to do anything ever. Uh, because be, uh, praxeology tells us that uh, we evaluate our options and choose one of the over the other 
because we all have a positive time preference. So we want something sooner or rather than later. We can postpone and we can choose between different actions, but we all have this value hierarchy in us. And if time wasn't an issue, that value hierarchy wouldn't be there. So if you have eternal life, you can postpone every action indefinitely. And therefore you would never act. You would never act. So a God that exists in the universe as we know it wouldn't act at all. And a God that existed before the universe, even though time started at a specific point. So for lack of a better word, we use the word before because there is no real before, before time. Uh, (laughs) But that's that being, since that being wouldn't interact with whatever or couldn't interact with whatever we exist in now because of the very nature of existing before everything else. And if it was interacting with everything else, the, the, the dilemmas I just described would apply. So a being like that, it wouldn't matter to us if a being like that ever existed or not. That, that's, that's as our arbitrary as saying that we live in the matrix or there are multiverses or multiversa or, or that there are, uh, that the universe is a simulation. We, we will never know. And we don't really need to know because all we need to study is what, whatever we are uh, experiencing, what, what reality constitutes here. Mm -hmm. What I do like is the meme theory of everything. If you've ever heard of that, which is like that reality is really just objective reality is where subjective realities converge and that if that is true so so we experience jupiter for instance because we all can see jupiter and it's it's there because we we all experience it and the subjective experiences can't clash uh, because reality and the timeline we live in is basically just where where these uh all the consciousnesses of the world collide. Uh, that would explain why why we uh, the, the Fermi paradox, why we haven't seen life uh, outside a certain time horizon, for instance, because our consciousnesses would never converge with those beings' consciousnesses. So we wouldn't like, uh, and there's all sorts of of strange things there. Um, yeah, uh, I'm going to just uh, stutter a lot and not not make myself very very clear. I need to write something about that in order to get my head straight around it. But there's something there about objective reality being where subjective reality uh, collides because mm-hmm. of quantum mechanics and all of that. We when we observe something, we we alter. A state of reality, um, yeah. which might be another universe, or it might be the hand of God, or it might be blah 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 blah, mm-hmm. or it might just be that reality is where all our subjective evaluations of it, it converge. You said uh, something about if uh, that Bitcoin kind of made uh, what did you call this? Uh, uh, it made it Pascal's made, wager. Yeah, the wager, like true yeah it's applicable to bitcoin yeah so bitcoin is god in that sense yeah i've never kind of stopped being mind boggled about how 
enormous it is that we have this entity called Bitcoin that just produces objective truth all the time. Yeah. And, and how potentially crucially uniting that is in a world where everything becomes ever more subjective. And also on the note of the subjectivity, like you, you touched on the, the, like the concept of uh, psychedelics or entheogens. Uh, yeah. and, uh, I think that there, <laughs> their use, uh, as as instruments to basically open up more and enhance the bandwidth that you can perceive truth is, yeah. is pretty profound. And uh, that humans operate on many different frequencies and levels in terms of how much bandwidth they have, I think. But the more, like, if everyone was getting lost in entheogens and, and you know, got went really deep on on reality and the theism and religion and everything that would even make it more crucial that we have something objective that's just non-negotiable that we can unite around and, and build. Yeah. And the, the, the fact that Bitcoin is that in a, in a verifiable way available to everyone is very, very, brings me a lot of hope. And, uh, I think the future is, is very bright on the Bitcoin standard. Yeah. To, to to say some profound shit here, is it funny that the closest thing we had to, uh, well, absolute financial atheism, which is, you know, from the chapter in my book there about Bitcoin being financial atheism, because mm-hmm. all the other, all its predecessors require some, some form of belief. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, Bitcoin is the, the type of money that requires the least amount of belief because you can verify yeah. every step of it. Yeah. So, and the, 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 the funny thing is that is the closest thing to God we've got. I agree. So, so I would say we live in year 14, uh, based on that. I, I, I agree. Year 14 of our Lord. Uh, I mean, uh, which is a much better starting point. Uh, in, in the, the, in terms of the potential for cult-like behavior, I think we haven't even scratched the surface of what Bitcoin would kind of make possible and because it it is somewhat of it turns into religion really fast uh for me at least uh, and when i say religion take that in the best way possible like more like you know it it's yeah, an epiphany maybe or yeah. like it's an a, emancipation from i would say it's an emancipation from a cult yeah i guess because fiat is the cult and like it's not a cult if it enables total individualism. It can, by definition, it can it cannot be a cult. I think I, I, I suffer uh, from. Uh, I only talk to Bitcoiners, basically. You know, I I, I don't have I don't have too much patience patience or interest in talking with with other people. Or too many good Bitcoiners to talk to. So you know, <laughs> races like toxic, for example, to me. Toxic, like for, for my mom or like the average person who's really toxic means like that you're a bad person, but for yeah. me, toxic, you're poisonous. <laughs> yeah. But for me, toxic is pretty much like uh, a badge of honor, uh, because what happened was that Bitcoiners were called toxic and then they were called toxic. We were called toxic by people 
that it was so ridiculous that we were called toxic that we kind of just memified it. And that I was, that was kind of interesting when I was in court with Craig, that Craig's lawyers, you know, again and again and again and again, read up a couple of my tweets where I had like used something like, said something like, thank you to all the rabid and toxic uh, Bitcoiners for keeping it real or something. And he was like, he said, thank you to all the toxic and rabid Bitcoiners keep telling the truth, like as if I was, you know, appealing to the worst possible parts of humanity, you know, and yeah, it's, a, it's a, that's so weird. I'm saying the same thing when, when, when I used the word cult, uh, like a couple of minutes ago, it's the same thing, you know, just because Bitcoiners, oh, such a fucking cult. And then I immediately stopped taking the word seriously and, and kind of just, it just takes on my own, uh, memeified version of the, of, of the word. I think, I think I will probably run into trouble in the future when I talk to non-Bitcoiners because my vocabulary is, you know, a result of, uh, of the meaning, uh, Bitcoiners have put into words more than how the words work from the Oxford dictionary. Keep in mind that the Oxford dictionary is getting updated by the cult of statism all the time. Like they updated the, yeah, yeah. the, the what, vaccine, vac- vaccine was one word. What, what was the other? The damn vaccine. Woman. Yeah. yeah. Woman. <laughs> I, I'm, yeah. pre- I'm pretty sure one of the dictionaries put in a thing of like a certain usage of the word woman is considered offensive. That, like, uh, yeah. That's another thing with, you know, perce- perceived problems uh, with feminism. For for instance, like w- when they say there, there are only X percent women in this, uh, doing this type of work. And what exactly is the problem? Yeah. Yeah. Because... What, what's the problem with that? I, I mean, I, I, I truly don't see a problem with there being a certain percentage of anything in anything. Isn't that just a manifestation of free will and people doing what they like to do? Yeah. Yeah. And so what if women like doing st- whatever a woman is, mm-hmm. uh, if they like doing certain stuff more than like, what is the problem again? Yeah. Like you just can't wrap your head around it. Especially, especially. It becomes especially ridiculous when, you know, they, they use the word diversity so actively all the time, but like, so you're, we're supposed to be both diverse and, you know, exactly the same. Yeah. That's yeah. We are just supposed to have different skin color and gender and then go bad, 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 just in the same yeah. way as the next fucking sheep. That's, that's, but <laughs> I stopped paying attention to a large degree to it. It just became too much. So uh, I'm not even up to date on clown world narratives. I think clown world is like, look at this latest. I, I mean, I love the Marvel Marvel Cinematic Universe when it first came because I was a huge Marvel nerd when I was a kid. Oh my god! I had so I loved it up until this phase when all of a sudden it's a it's a cinematic universe where where. There's a female version of every fucking superhero and everyone think it sucks. And, uh, of course the movies are tanking because like the, the female protagonists, they get all the benefits and they're super powered, uh, uh from the beginning. They never have a struggle. Mm-hmm. Like all, all the male superheroes, they have a, a journey and they start at some low point and they're like, but the female heroes, they're all super 
they're all overpowered from the from the get go, and that's like that's been a trend in Hollywood for such a long time now. So, uh, but I think there's a big backlash coming. People people don't want that. They don't want you know elitist uh, force feeding of bullshit narratives. I wouldn't watch a Marvel movie if you paid me for it. I think that must be have been a really sad journey. To like, I'm sure that universe was pretty cool before it was captured by the the Wokesters and the yeah, it was and yeah, and they they really portrayed the heroes the way they should be portrayed. Like that, it was very true to the comics in the beginning. Yeah, and then, and then like other series as well, like uh, the the new Lord of the Rings one. Uh, oh, I, I'm not touching that. Yeah. <laughs> the Witcher on Netflix. I'm particularly annoyed about that one. Uh, just not adapting things correctly and um, changing characters and stuff, uh, all in the name of making it more accessible and woke and all this. Yeah, not good. Terrible. Uh, I got the impression I haven't watched it myself, but. Uh... This new Avatar movie, what I'm hearing is that it is kind of uh, okay. That's, I, I was sure I, that was kind of definitely I, uh, a bit terrible. Yeah. Thing. The thing I heard is that it, at least it has a, uh, you know, a patriarch as the hero. He's the father of the family and he protects his family. So mm-hmm. that's, that's the non-woke part of it. I haven't seen it yet, but I hear a lot of other things like James Cameron says that he uh, had to cut out some scenes with guns because he he doesn't like guns and he went, you're James fucking Cameron. Like, you made the Terminator and aliens and they're shit full of guns. Those people love those movies because of the fucking guns. Like, oh, well, you're supposed to be ashamed of your hectics and your upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the blue people were also, uh, there wasn't enough representation in the blue people, something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so it actually made the, the wokesters complain. So that's nice. Like there weren't, weren't different hues of blue? I don't even re- pretend to understand the argument, but I think it was that they didn't have enough uh, indigenous people consulting on the, the representation because they're, they must be based on indigenous people. Or maybe they, they didn't have enough people of color colored blue and the right i mean do you remember the first avatar movie uh, yeah that uh, was I, uh, quite recently with my daughter actually yeah i i tried to watch it with my boy but i only got a, a through half of it yeah because it's it's like when they start using like, like like those their hair is some sort of usb interface that they can plug into the space horse mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was, and it doesn't fucking do anything. It just makes you train that, like, you'll be able to ride the horse a bit faster if you use the interface. Yeah, like, and there's there's so many, I mean, outright completely stupid things, and, and it's it's it just very, too much. Think of it as a very shitty unit in StarCraft Two, like some a unit you never wanted. I've been playing a bit of StarCraft lately. We should we should play yeah, again sometime. We've been that's too that's long. Let's yeah. just do it one of the coming weeks. I wanted to. I w- I've been watching StarCraft again. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a really good YouTuber who, who uh, did some videos recently. Many good uh, casters. Uh, I mean, that, that game keeps growing on me in terms of it. It's just so complex. Uh, it has yeah. the micro and the macro. It's yeah. uh, amazing spectator sport. It is. 
And people don't know about it. And they laugh at me when I say, no, I'm not interested in football. I watch StarCraft too. It features, you know, robots and aliens blowing each other to pieces at breakneck speeds. Uh, and these are just some, t- some, you know, overpaid people chasing a ball and pretending to get hurt all the time. Like, so I don't get it. Why is that interesting? I, I mean, uh, I think anyone who, at least anyone who enjoys chess, if you like chess, like StarCraft 2 is just chess on, on steroids. Chess, yeah. Chess version 10 or something. So. Yeah, maybe I will take the initiative to set up a small Bitcoin or StarCraft 2 tournament or something. I think that. Yeah, I think there are a couple of players. Some players out there. Yeah, and and we'll all be e- equally bad because we're, you know, calm and slow and think things over for hours on end. We're not, you know, it'll be good fun. Good macro and terrible micro. Just like the, the opposite of... Bitcoin then. Macro is the low time preference, right? Micro is just this high time preference shit. We can just... Yeah, but but, uh, praxeology tells us that there's no such thing as macro. So it's it's all micro, really. (laughs) You have to think of the individual drone and marine and... Praxeology is pissing on my theories. Maybe as a uh, to to try and hook into a slightly different uh, segue here of avatar here. Uh, I I'm a bit curious, hold or not, about your feelings on on anonymity as you've had this journey over this last few years, starting off as a as an anonymous pleb and then getting called out for that and everything. And what does your anonymity mean to you in, in current context? Uh, I mean, it's last four years. That's definitely made me reflect on the concept of anonymity. I don't think I have any left, uh, even though, you know, still on podcast, I, I prefer to, to keep what I can, but, uh, Craig has really, and Calvin has gone very hard to make sure that my name and face and stuff is available out there forever. I do think, I mean, obviously. Or I don't know if it's obvious even, but I do think that anonymity and the ability to express yourself anonymously is crucial, absolutely crucial because I have been feeling it myself. I I used to be anonymous as Hodlunot, tweeted about basically the same things I tweet about right now, but at one point I got a, got a job, like pretty high profile job in the Bitcoin space where it, it became very clear to me how much of, of speech in today's world is a little bit taboo because suddenly I was in an environment with, you know, the, the big, big league corporate world here in Norway and any, like when you are employed in a big company, like any speech. Especially for when this Hodlunot and the media made a big deal of it that Hodlunot had started working for this company. And so, and they, they started here and there printing my tweets on different subjects. Like I said, something like if you, like how important it was to, to not 
not uh, use uh, mainstream media, for example, uh, or like just uh, op opinions that counter the the norm and the narrative. And I can hundred percent clearly see that for ninety percent plus of people, the reality is that because of social consequences or the uh, professional consequences, people are simply not uh, able to express themselves freely. They, they will self-censor. Uh, some will only self-censor a little bit, but everyone will do it to some extent. And if we don't have a way, like if honest opinion is penalized, uh, then we have no hope of, of having honest discussions, obviously. So I think it's imperative that somehow humans are able to express and discuss uh, amongst themselves in an anonymous fashion. I need to play the devil's advocate here, right here. Yes. Uh, because this is a, a subject that I've changed my mind on completely at, since reading Rothbard's uh, The Ethics of Liberty is particularly. Because I was always a, a huge free speech advocate. But as Rothbard points out in that book, the, the, the question we, we forget to ask ourselves is free speech where? Because free speech implies that there is a public space somewhere and a public property somewhere uh, in which we can have free speech to a greater or lesser extent. But property rights are more important than freedom of speech rights. Like if your property hadn't been taken away in the first place, then everyone would be free to say whatever they wanted on their property. And they could also set the rules for whatever they thought anyone else should say on their property. Yeah. And this is, this is, I think this has to be the basis for the debates. Like, uh, the, the problem with social media censorship it's not that these companies uh, censor their users. It's that they're influenced by political forces to censor their users because there is a market for a free speech platform. And in most circumstances, people should second guess themselves and self-censor when talking to people. If you're at, if you're at a party at someone's house, uh, you better not tell the host to, to go fuck themselves. Like that's in a way it's self-censorship, but it's a functioning type of self-censorship. The problem is that, that, that the, the morals are all skew skewed and, and people do things for the wrong reasons. And social media has become, you know, virtue signaling platforms instead of like, I don't, I don't see any kind of conflict between being nice and, and speaking hundred percent freely. I mean, me neither, not, not in a perfect world. Just, you know, uh, uh, the result of being uh, civilized and, you know, be, uh, having good intentions. That's what keeps me from telling everyone to fuck off. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm generally a very polite person to people, uh, and I will never disrespect anyone who hasn't given me very ample reasons to disrespect them. But just to what you're saying, this, I totally understand, uh, like what you're saying about, uh, property and, uh, that obviously any property owner should be able to dictate what happens on their property. And yeah, that goes for Twitter too. 
unfortunately, Twitter was uh, not uh, themselves choosing what should be censored or not. They were fully captured by the woke left. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So uh, until, you know, we have this fully decentralized platform that maybe Noster can become, I think Noster is, is very promising. Uh, maybe at least it's the platform I have the most hype about since, you know, uh, all of these attempts started coming with Mastodon and different alternatives. Yeah. But I think it's, uh, if, if we are going to end up in a good place as a civilization, I think it's crucially important that we manage to bridge the gap between now and the future where we have this decentralized platform where, you know, there is no property because it's just an open protocol where anyone and everyone can block or participate however they want. There is well, no well, there's property there for sure. Yeah. But it's everyone's computer. And yes. we can choose what information we let in or not. Exactly. But that's, the, that's how it should be. Yes, exactly. Because I, I mean, I think it's just completely, uh, impossible to understand for me that someone says it's censorship to block some, I mean, no, that's no, not, that's not yeah. censorship, you know? No, and that's, that's so weird. And people get so upset by being blocked by yeah. someone. What the hell do you know? What do you know about the reasons for blocking? People use Twitter for, as a tool for, no, for it doesn't even matter. I think, you know, it doesn't matter at all. Someone I mean, doesn't follow us. I mean, then that's their absolute privilege and, uh, yeah, hundred percent. But just to finish what I was saying, I think yep. it's just so important that because Twitter was and is the, the closest thing by a huge margin to having a public square, a global public square where everyone can speak and say what they mean. And it, it has a chance of going viral. It has a chance of being picked up by, by, uh, uh, sub clusters that are connected to your sub cluster and you know, it can spread and you can jump in and debunk something completely outside of your cluster and stuff like that. So. I'm just so extremely thankful to Elon for, 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 to, to a big extent, opening up again on very important narratives and people underestimate how much brighter, uh, the present is because Twitter has now reinstated voices that have, you know, debunked, criticized and gotten super important information uh, in front of millions and these Twitter files, the importance of the Twitter file, I mean, they should have led to immediate tri tribunals and, you know, people should have been sitting in jail already from what is in these Twitter files, but that's not gonna happen, I think, but still it's Elon's or the, this new Twitter policies that, that is the reason that the narratives that have been suppressing us very harshly and for me, obviously were planned and had, they were planning to screw the tighter clothes, the, the screw tighter, uh, but they are falling apart right now. And, uh, we need a place where these evil narratives can keep being challenged until we have this future where we are, you know, where we have escaped velocity in terms of communication. Yeah. Beautifully put, uh, I'm having a bad conscience for not having checked out Noster yet. I, I definitely should, uh, 
I, you know, you, I, I, I think I just heard about it like a month ago for the first time and you still feel bad for not having tried it out yet. But so it's, are you on uh, iOS? Uh, no, no, they have a pretty decent iPhone app, which makes it, makes the, uh, no, I have an iPhone. Maybe I should try it on that. Yeah. I think it's the most like simple way to, because if you use that, it's, it's so easy, you know, just yeah, yeah. super easy. So you can be up and running in five minutes and, uh, it's yeah. super active for Bitcoiners. And, uh, I mean, the numbers are pretty impressive in total as well, but I don't see Nostr getting any kind of critical mass for years and years, but I think it's, if nothing else, it's really cool that the social fabric of, between Bitcoiners can be back, backed up on this uh, platform where yeah. no, no one can just turn it off, you know? So if we follow each other on Nostr, then uh, that's, a, that's a good way to make sure that our communication will not be censored. That's good to know. I should get it up and running. And uh, while we're at it, we could mention Orange Pill app in the same sentence. It's, it's uh, uh, a centralized alternative, of course, but it's a, it's a, it's a, a shout out to our great sponsors in the Orange Pill app. Uh, regardless, they're helping Bitcoiners come closer together. Uh, Hold on up. This has been a fascinating two hours almost. We're coming up on two hours and I just realized I have the weekly free Madeira meeting in, in, uh, like eight minutes from now. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I think this is a good, good place to wrap this, uh, wrap this up on, uh, fantastic to talk to you again. I, I, I found the conversation fascinating and, uh, uh, we need to talk more often. Yeah, I, agree. I mean, we, we had, a. Time has flown. Time has flown. We've both been busy. Uh, I've been busy with more pleasant things than you have, but oh, I had a lot of pleasure in my, I, I managed to squeeze in a lot of pleasure too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Nail that son of a bitch. But yeah, uh, I hope to see you at some of the conferences this year. You're always very welcome here whenever, whenever you want. Of course, we book for weekends until like March ish. So, but I, I would really like to, to get to some conference this year. Uh, B2C Prague is, uh, uh, that, yeah, that's a high signal one. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of good people there. Yeah. And, uh, regardless if I make it there or not, uh, I would also, uh, maybe like to try to just gather, gather a few of us plebs somewhere in the, in some. Uh, Nordic forest uh, place. Um, yeah, or a Spanish fucking beach. That's oh, also a possibility for us that, you know, uh, I mean, cross country skiing is fun and all, but, you know, <laughs> Nordics are nice in the summer. <laughs> you have a soma and a couch and a guitar. I think you're good. I have a guitar and a couch. I have to work on the sauna, but if you choose the right month, we won't need a sauna. Yeah, <laughs> no, I was thinking. So I managed to lure you up in some snowy Scandinavian forest. Yeah. Forest. Just keep you far away from the skis and you will be okay. Shit. There's never a bad time for a sauna. No. Never a bad, no, a bad season for like, sauna. No, no. I, I enjoy a sauna just much, as much as the next guy. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, great talking to you guys. Yep. 
Yeah, Take thanks care. a lot for this, Alden. I appreciate it. And uh, nice to have you on and uh, nice to meet you. Take yeah. care, Mr. Cut. Uh, Take care, guys. Until next time. Later. Later.